This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 14th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. After Barack Obama was elected president, the anti-war movement in America dwindled. Why is that? In his new co-authored book, Party in the Street, the Anti-War Movement and the Democratic Party After 9-11, Michael Heaney looks at what goes into sustaining mass movements and what makes them fade away. We spoke last week. A lot of libertarians in 2008 were hopeful uh, when Barack Obama was elected president that at the very least his strong opposition to, in his terms, dumb wars would help sort of uh, grease the skids for getting the United States out of uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And uh, I think a lot of libertarians were very pleased by the anti-war movement that had originated around Iraq in 2003 and 2004. But it seems, and many of my colleagues here have complained about it, that after Barack Obama was elected president, the anti-war movement for, uh, for, in large part, sort of just faded away. So is that true? Did the anti-war movement uh, post Barack Obama sort of fade away? That's largely true. The anti-war movement didn't go away entirely. There are still many people who, after Barack Obama's election and even today, continue to oppose U.S. policies in Iraq and Afghanistan and continue to fight for the cause of peace. But those people are small relative to the people that started devoting their attention to other issues besides anti-war activism. And so after Barack Obama was elected in 2008, the anti-war movement declined. And this was actually a continuation of a decline that had begun in 2006 when the Democrats regained the House and the Senate in large part on promises of um, ending the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Okay. So uh, do we have a sense of how those numbers changed from after uh, 2006, 2007? and the election of Barack Obama? Sure. So, um, well, if we go back just a little bit, if you go back to 2003, 2004, 2005, you saw that in the United States there were multiple anti-war demonstrations in major cities that attracted hundreds of thousands of participants. Um, What you began to see is after 2006, uh, you didn't ever see them in the, um, the, t- the hundreds of thousands anymore. You saw them much more in the tens of thousands. And then after uh, Barack Obama was elected, it was, really, it was a real challenge to have an anti-war demonstration that had more than 1,000 people. So what you see is the movement falling by orders of magnitude. For libertarians, it's both sort of disappointing and also sort of an I told you so moment uh, where libertarians would argue and, and, and please give me your perspective. These people were not true anti-war people. They were just anti-Bush people and that their anti-war sentiment was fleeting. So give me, give me well, what, I think, what I you, think there's, there's partial truth in that. I think that that's one way to look at it. Um, but I think I would say that people who participate in activism and who are involved in politics are very multifaceted, and they're thinking about different things um, so that people might care about multiple issues, and they might be working on the issue that seems hot to them at the particular time. Um, It could be that what they're doing is following the lead of the party, so that their partisan loyalties really outweigh their issue loyalties, and they follow the party's concerns. So if the party says, If the party's saying in 2005 and 2006 that the war is a major problem, then people are going to be devoting a lot of attention to the war. 
if in 2009 and 2010 the party is saying healthcare and immigration, people are more likely to devote their attention to that. So I don't think it's that people say in 2009, I don't care about war anymore. I think that we're doing the right thing in Iraq and Afghanistan. I think it's more that their attention shifts from one issue to another. Did we see a, a similar effect in the 1960s with respect to Vietnam? That's a great question. Um, no, we didn't. And a big part of the reason for this is that the way that the U.S. political system was organized politically was very different in the sense that um, partisanship didn't play as strong a role in organizing the way people thought about politics as it does today. So uh, there's some very interesting uh, public opinion data that were collected by a public, a public opinion scholar at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Adam Berinsky. And he looks at public opinion on the, the, um, the Vietnam War. And one of the things he shows is that public support for the Vietnam War is just going down over time consistently, and that there are only small differences that are as a result of partisanship. So when Lyndon Johnson is the president, Democrats disapprove slightly less than Republicans disapprove. And then once Nixon becomes president, it reverses so that um, Democrats are slightly more likely to disapprove than Republicans are. But for both groups, you see this kind of downward, downward slide. The difference is that fast forward to the 2000s, public opinion has become very polarized uh, according to party on this war issue. And so there's a big difference in what Democrats and Republicans think about the war. All right. And this has happened, I assume, in other aspects of uh, partisan alignment as well. This is a general phenomenon which is called polarization, which is that people tend to line up their issue perspectives based upon um, the party that's for or against a particular issue. And so the um, middle ground on any particular issue evaporates in favor of people taking more extreme positions on both sides. So to understand your argument uh, a little more uh, clearly, people have many interests and uh, political interests. And if you're able to check off more boxes of an individual's political interest, it's more likely that they will gravitate toward that issue uh, than they might otherwise. Well, I, I think it's a little bit more of a social and organizational process than that. So what happens is that people develop loyalties to parties, that parties become objects that they pay attention to, and those parties play an important role in educating them about the political world. Uh, it, parties become, in a sense, parties and partisanship become a lens through which at least many activists look at the world. And so the party's actively educating people and then directing their energy from one thing to another based upon its agenda. There are two other sort of mass movements. One, I would argue, is more short-lived uh, than the other one, the Tea Party, which arose in late 2008, in a sense, and, and really got ramped up in uh, 2009, and Occupy Wall Street, which uh, was 2010 and beyond. So what, what, were, what were these groups, and how do they align, and, and how have they sort of diffused? Well, we learn a lot about partisanship by looking at the by Occupy Wall Street movement and the Tea Party movement. And the reason why they're interesting is because the Tea Party movement is much more aligned with the Republican Party, and the Occupy movement is more aligned with the Democratic Party. But the interesting difference between these two movements is the intensity with which the people that participate in them think about the parties. So uh, one of the things that we found was that in the 
Tea Party movement that people tended to have a very strong identification with the Republican Party. Not everyone in the movement, so about two-thirds of the participants in the movement really strongly identified as Republicans, about one-third thought of themselves more as independent or having some other kind of identification. In contrast, it was the almost the exact opposite in Occupy Wall Street. So only about one-third of the Occupy Wall Street protesters thought of themselves as Democrats, and two-thirds of them thought of themselves as nonpartisan. So as a result, the Tea Party movement and the Occupy Wall Street movement evolved in very different ways. The Tea Party movement evolved inside the Republican Party and really became a force, a faction within the Republican Party. In contrast, the Occupy Wall Street movement didn't want to be involved with the Democratic Party, and as a result, they sort of withered away. Um, not only were they against parties, but they were against all kinds of political institutions, and this undermined their ability to, to sustain their movement. Uh, politicians like to say, you know, if you see a crowd marching down the street, run out in front and look, try to look like you're leading them. And uh, I think Repu both Republicans and Democrats really wanted to cash in on this uh, animus that the, right. both of these groups had. You say Republicans were more effective at absorbing these people who are more likely to already be aligned with them? Yeah, it's both that the Republican Party was more effective in absorbing the Tea Party and, more that the, and also that the Tea Party was more absorbable. Right? So the kind of people that were involved in Tea Party activism, because Republican partisanship was an important part of who they were, um, they were more willing to go along with the Republican Party and be a part of this. Whereas the Occupy people were much more suspect of the party system. And as a result, they didn't. when the Democratic Party tried to lead the Occupy movement or tried to partner with the Occupy movement, the, um, the Occupy movement said, we don't, want any, we don't want any of that. Only they didn't use as kind language as I just did. So did, uh, it, with respect to translating uh, activism into institutions, did that occur with, with those movements? Much more so for the Tea Party than for Occupy Wall Street. In fact, you might say almost not at all for Occupy Wall Street. That, um, yeah, and actually, these are two great examples of two movements that are both tapping into a dissatisfaction in the public, a dissatisfaction with the current partisan system. But what happens is that the Tea Party gets channeled into the existing partisan system. And then the Occupy movement doesn't really latch on to institutions. And because of that, it really fades away. What does your research have to say about nonpartisan activism, people who are explicitly not aligned with, with parties and, and their activity? Well, there's a fair number of people who are nonpartisan who we observed in our study. And we, um, we noticed that the number of or the percentage of people that are nonpartisan in the anti-war movement actually grew over time. So that was one of the things that happened when um, the Democrats, effectively when the Democrats left the anti-war movement, that left the third party people and the nonpartisans. And so they play, a, they play a pretty important role in the movement. And the only problem is, is that nonpartisans are a smaller group than the partisans. And so if you want to mobilize a mass group of people, you're sort of better off going with the people who are, who are identified with parties because there's more of them. And so um, the nonpartisans, it's harder to build a, a, base, of, a base around them. Michael Heaney is co-author of Party in the Street, the Anti-War Movement and the Democratic Party after 9-11. You can learn more about the politics of war and peace at our website, cato.org.